0: Book 2 chapter 12 of Camilla This is a LibriVox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain For more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org Reading by Lars Rolander Camilla or a Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney chapter 12 Two Doctors A council was now held upon what course must next be taken. Both Therhugh and Eugenia were too much fatigued to walk any further. Yet it was concluded that the garden-chair, by some mistake, was gone straight to the cottage. Edgar therefore proposed running thither to bring it round for them, while Dr. Orkborne should go forward for Miss Margland and Indiana, and conduct them by the high road to the same place, where the whole party might at length reassemble. Sir Hugh approved the plan, and he set off instantly. But not so, Dr. Orkborne; He thought himself disgraced by being sent from one post to another, and, though Eugenia was nothing to him, in competition with his tablets and his work, His own instructions had so raised her in his mind, that he thought her the only female worthy a moment of his time. Indiana he looked upon with ineffable contempt. The incapacity she had shewn during the short time he was under his pupilage had convinced him of the futility of her whole sex, from which he held Eugenia to be a partial exception. And Miss Margland, who never spoke to him but in a voice of haughty superiority, and whom he never answered, but with an air of solemn superciliousness, was his rooted aversion. He could not brook being employed in the service of either. He stood therefore motionless till Sir Hugh repeated the proposition. Not caring to disoblige him, he then, without speaking, slowly and unwillingly moved forwards. "'I see,' said the baronet, softened rather than offended—' "'He does not much like to leave his little scholar, which is but natural, though I took it rather unkind his letting the poor thing run against the very horns of the bull, as one may say, if it had not been for a mere accidental passenger. However, one must always make allowance for a man that takes much to his studies, those things generally turning the head pretty much into a narrow compass.' He then called after him, and said if the walk would tire him, he would wait till they came themselves, which no doubt they would soon do, as Lionel was gone for them. Dr. Orkborne gladly stopped, but Dr. Marchmont, seeing little likelihood of a general meeting without some trouble, offered to take the commission upon himself, with a politeness that seemed to shew it to be a wish of his own. Sir Hugh accepted his kindness with thanks, and Dr. Orkborne, though secretly disconcerted by such superior alacrity in so learned a man, was well content to reinstate himself by the side of his pupil. Sir Hugh, who saw the eyes of Bellamy, constantly turned towards Eugenia, thought his presence highly dangerous, and with much tribulation said, As I find, sir, we may all have to stay here, I don't know how long. I hope you won't be affronted, after my best thanks for your keeping my niece from the bull, if I don't make any particular point of begging the favor of you to stay much longer with us. Bellamy, extremely chagrined, cast an appealing look at Eugenia, and expressing his regret that his services were inadmissible, made his retreat with undisguised reluctance. Eugenia persuaded she owed him a serious obligation for his care as well as for his partiality felt the sincerest concern at his apparent distress and contributed far more than she intended to its removal by the gentle countenance with which she received his sorrowful glance bellamy hastily overtaking dr marchmont darted on before him in search of miss margland and indiana who far from advancing were pacing their way back to the churchyard Lionel had joined them, and the incensed Miss Margland had encouraged the glad attendance of the Oxonian as a protection to herself. The sight of Bellamy by no means tended to disperse the storm. She resented his deserting her while she was in danger, and desired to see no more of him. But when he had respectfully suffered her wrath to vent itself, he made apologies with an obsequiousness so rare to her, and a deference so strikingly contrasted with the daring ridicule of lionel that she did not long oppose the potent charm of adulation a charm which however it may be sweetened by novelty seldom loses its effect by any familiarity during these contests indiana was left folly to young melmond and the temptation was too strong for his impassioned feelings to withstand O fairest he cried fairest and most beautiful of all created beings can i resist no this one one effusion the first and the last the sensibility of your mind will plead for me i read it in those heavenly eyes they emit mercy in their beauty they are as radiant with goodness as with loveliness alas i trespass i blush and dare not hope your forgiveness he stopped terrified at his own presumption but the looks of indiana were never more beautiful and never less formidable a milder doom therefore seemed suddenly to burst upon his view elated and enraptured he vehemently exclaimed oh were my lot not irrevocably miserable were the smallest ray of light to beam upon my despondence. Indiana still spoke not a word, but she withdrew not her smiles, and the enraptured student, lifted into the highest bliss by the permission even of a doubt, walked on, transported, by her side, too happy in suspense to wish an explanation. In this manner they proceeded till they were joined by Dr. Marchmont, the task he had attempted was beyond his power or performance. Miss Margland was inexorable. She declared nothing should induce her to go a step towards the field inhabited by the bull, and every assurance of safety the doctor could urge was ineffectual. He next assailed Indiana, but her first terror, soothed by the compassion and admiration of Melmont, was now revived and she protested almost with tears that to go within a hundred yards of that dreadful meadow would make her undoubtedly faint away. The tender commiseration of Melmont confirmed her apprehensions, and she soon looked upon Dr. Marchmont as a barbarian for making the proposal. The doctor then commended them to the care of Lionel, and returned with his repulse to Sir Hugh the baronet incapable of being angry with any one he conceived to be frightened said they should be pressed no more for he would give up going to the cottage and put his best foot forward to walk on to them himself adding he was so overjoyed to have got rid of that young spark that he had no fear but that he and poor eugenia too should both do as well as they could They proceeded very slowly, the baronet leaning upon Dr. Marchmont, and Eugenia upon Dr. Orkborne, who, watchful with no small alarm of the behavior of the only man he had yet seen with any internal respect since he left the university, sacrificed completely his notes and his tablets to emulate his attentions. When they approached the churchyard, in which Miss Margland and her party had halted, Sir Hugh perceived Bellamy. He stopped short, calling out with extreme chagrin, Lord, help us! What a thing it is to rejoice, which one never knows the right season to do, on the score of meeting with disappointments! Then, after a little meditation, There is but one thing, he cried, to be done, which is to guard from the first against any more mischief. "'having already had enough of it for one morning, "'not to say more than I could have wished by half. "'So do you, good Dr. Marchmont, take Eugenia under your own care, "'and I'll make shift with Dr. Orkborne for myself, "'for in the case he should take again to writing or thinking, "'it will be nothing to me to keep still till he has done, "'provided it should happen at a place where I can sit down.' Dr. Orkborne had never felt so deeply hurt. The same commission transferred to Edgar or to Lionel would have failed to affect him. He considered them as of an age fitted for such frivolous employment, which he thought as much below his dignity as the young men themselves were beneath his competition. But the comfort of contempt, a species of consolation ever ready to offer itself to the impulsive pride of man, was here an elevation he could not call to his aid the character of dr marchmont stood as high in erudition as his own and though his acquaintance with him was merely personal the fame of his learning the only attribute to which fame in his conception belonged had reached him from authority to unquestionable for doubt the urbanity, therefore, of his manners, his general diffusion of discourse, and his universal complaisance filled him with astonishment, and raised an emotion of envy which no other person would have been deemed worthy of exciting. But though his long and fixed residence at Cleves had now removed the timid circumspection with which he first sought to ensure his establishment, he yet would not venture any positive refusal to the baronet. He resigned, therefore, his young charge to his new and formidable opponent, and even exerted himself to mark some alacrity in assisting Sir Hugh. But his whole real attention was upon Dr. Marchmont, whom his eye followed in every motion to discover if possible by what art unknown he had acquired such a command over his thoughts and understanding as to bear patiently nay pleasantly with the idle and unequal companions of general society dr marchmont who was rector of cleves had been introduced to sir hugh upon the baronet's settling in the large mansion-house of that village but he had not visited at the house nor had his company been solicited sir hugh who could never separate understanding from learning nor want of education from folly concluded that such a man as dr marchmont must necessarily despise him and though the extreme sweetness of his temper made him draw the conclusion without resentment it so effectually prevented all wish of any intercourse that they had never conversed together till this morning and his surprise now at such civilities and good humour in so great a scholar differed only from that of dr orkborne in being accompanied with admiration instead of envy eugenia thus disposed of they were proceeding when sir hugh next observed the young oxonian he was speaking with indiana to whom his passionate devotion was glaring from his looks air and whole manner lord help me exclaimed he if there is not another of those new chaps that nobody knows anything about talking to indiana and for aught i can tell to the contrary making love to her i think i never took such a bad walk as this before since the hour i was born in point of unluckiness robert will have enough to answer for which he must expect to hear and indeed i am not much obliged to mrs margland herself and so i must needs tell her though it is not what i much like to do he then made a sign to miss margland to approach him mrs margland he cried I should not have taken the liberty to beckon you in this manner, but that I think it right to ask you what those two young gentlemen that I never saw before do in the churchyard, which is a thing I think rather odd.' "'As to that gentleman, sir,' she answered Bridling, who was standing by me, he is the only person I have found to protect me from Mr. Lionel, whose behaviour, sir, I must freely tell you.' "'Why, certainly, Mrs. Margland, i can't deny but he's rather a little over and above giddy but i am sure your understanding won't mind it in consideration of his being young enough to be your son in the case of your having been married time enough he then desired indiana would come to him the rapture of the oxonian was converted into torture by this summons and the suspense which the moment before had gilded with the gay colors of hope he felt would be no longer supportable when deprived of the sight of his divinity. Scarce could he refrain from casting himself publicly at her feet, and pouring forth the wishes of his heart. But when again the call was repeated, and he saw her look another way, as if desirous not to attend to it, the impulse of quick-rising joy dispersed his small remains of forbearance and precipitately clasping his hands oh go not he passionately exclaimed leave me not in this abyss of suffering fairest and most beautiful tell me at least if my death is inevitable if no time no constancy no adoration may ever dare hope to penetrate that gentlest of bosoms Indiana herself was now for the first time sensible of a little emotion. The animation of this address delighted her. It was new, and its effect was highly pleasing. How cold, she thought, is Edgar! She made not any answer, but permitted her eyes to meet his with the most languishing softness. Melmond trembled through his whole frame. Despair flew him and expectation wore her brightest plumage oh pronounce but one word he cried one single word are are you oh say not yes irrevocably engaged lost to all hope all possibility for ever indiana again licensed her fine eyes with their most melting powers and all self-control was finally over with her impassioned lover, who, mingling prayers for her favour, with adoration of her beauty, heeded not who heard him, and forgot every presence but her own. Miss Margland, who, engrossed by personal resentment and debates, had not remarked the rising courage and energy of Melmont, had just turned to Indiana upon the second call of Sir Hugh, and became now utterly confounded by the sight of her willing attention. "'Miss Lynmere!' cried she angrily. "'What are you thinking of? Suppose Mr. Mandelbert should come. What might be the consequence?' "'Mundelbert!' repeated Melmond, while the blood forsook his cheeks. "'Is it then even so? Is all over, all decided? Is my destiny black and ireful for ever?' Indiana, still more and more struck with him, looked down, internally uttering, Ah, were this charming youth but master of Beech Park! At this instant the rapid approach of a carriage caught their ears, and, eager to avoid making a decisive reply, she ran to the churchyard gate to look at it, exclaiming, Dear, what an elegant chariot! When it came up to the party, it stopped, and opening the door himself, Edgar jumped hastily out of it. The Oxonian stood aghast, but Indiana, springing forward and losing in curiosity every other sensation, cried, "Dear Mister Manilbott, whose beautiful new carriage is that?" "Yours," answered he gallantly. "If you will honor it with any commands," she then observed his crest and cypher were on the panels and another entire new set of ideas took instant possession of her mind. She received literally an answer which she had made in gay courtesy, and held out her hand to be helped into the chariot. Edgar, though surprised and even startled at this unexpected appropriation of his civility, could not recede, but the moment he had seated her, hastily turned round to inquire who else was most fatigued. The oxonian now felt lost, suddenly, abruptly, but irretrievably lost. The sufer he saw, the question whose carriage is that, he heard the answer yours, made him gasp for breath, and the instantaneous acceptance stung him to the soul. Folly in desperation, he rushed to the opposite window of the chariot, and calling out, Enough! Cruel! Cruel! Enough! i will see you no more hurried out of sight indiana who for the first time thought herself mistress of a new and elegant equipage was so busily employed in examining the trappings and the lining that she bore his departure without a sigh though but an instant before it might have cost her something near one eugenia had been touched more deeply She was ignorant of what had passed, but she had seen the agitation of Melmont, and the moment he disappeared she ejaculated secretly. Ah! had he conceived the prepossession of Bellamy! Where had been my steadiness? Where, O Clement, thy security? The scrupulous delicacy of her mind was shocked at this suggestion, and she rejoiced she had not been put to such a trial edgar now explained that when he arrived at the cottage he found as he had foreseen the garden-chair waiting there by mistake and robert in much distress having just discovered that an accident had happened to one of the wheels he had run on therefore himself to beech park for his own new chariot which was lately arrived from town making robert follow with sir hugh's horses as his own were out at grass it was dinner-time and sir hugh equally vexed and fatigued resolved to return straight home he accepted therefore a place in the chariot bid eugenia follow him and robert make haste solemnly adding to the latter i had fully intended making you the proper lecturer upon your not coming in time but as it has turned out not to be your fault on account of an accident i shall say no more except to give you a hint not to do such a thing again because we have all been upon the point of being tossed by a mad bull which would certainly have happened but for the lucky chance of its turning out a false alarm the remainder of the party proceeded without further adventure edgar attended camilla miss margland adhered to bellamy lionel who durst not venture at any new frolic but with whom time lingered when none was passing retreated dr marchmont who was near his home soon also made his bow and dr orkborne who was glad to be alone ruminated with wonder upon what appeared to him a phenomenon a man of learning who could deign to please and seem pleased where books were not the subject of discourse and where scholastic attainments were not required to elucidate a single sentence End of chapter 12 Read by Lars Rolander